This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Thank you, Julie, and good morning, church. It's good to be with you. Happy New Year. Um, I'm Russell Jung, the Director of Family Ministries. If you don't know, uh, again, uh, reaching out, saying hello to those people on Facebook. Uh, can't see you, but glad you're with us. And um, and uh, it's exciting to be up here this morning and to bring you God's Word. We're going to be looking at Romans 8. Uh, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. And um, we are continuing a series in Romans that Pastor Matt started um, in the, uh, I guess it was the fall, right? Started in the fall, and we're working through Romans this whole year. So we've taken a break for Christmas, and we did a little study on um, our our dysfunctional family and how um, Jesus and God works through that as well. And then uh, this morning, we're picking back up in Romans 8, and I'm excited to be um, in Romans, and I wanted to share this verse with you before we get started. It's uh, it's going back to the beginning of Romans, Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, and this was, uh, when I was in seminary, this verse kind of became my, uh, if you would, if you want to call it my life verse in Romans, and it's uh, for uh, Romans uh, 1, 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteous of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteousness sh- the righteous shall live by faith. And so this morning, as we enter in the new year, my hope is that as we uh, dig into Romans 8, that you will be encouraged in your faith. And that you will see that uh, because of Jesus, uh, you are the righteous ones. And as we say, uh, the righteous shall live by faith. If you are in Christ, then you are the righteous ones. And this uh, is an encouragement. This sermon hopefully will be an encouragement to you to continue to live by faith, even though it can be a struggle. As we all know, for those who have been walking with Christ for any period of time, it, it comes with highs and lows. So I hope that you'll be encouraged this morning. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans 8, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the Word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled 
in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Dear Lord, it is, uh, it is great to be together this morning with you and with the people of God. I'm thankful for the people that you have called out of darkness and into light. And I pray this morning that you would encourage us and strengthen us by the power of your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that uh, the words that I speak that, it, that would ring true to the gospel. And if there are words that I speak that don't ring true, that you would um, help us to not hear those. But Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes to see, to see you and to see your grace and to see your mercy in this passage. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So when I was about nine years old, I got to go fishing with my dad, and he took me deep sea fishing, and uh, it was a it was quite an experience. Um, so we got to the dock, and there was a this awesome boat, and it was set up obviously for fishing, and we went out a couple miles offshore, and you know they set up all the tackle, and we were marlin fishing, so we were we were searching for this these great beautiful fish that live out in the ocean and uh and the way they had it set up was there were four rigs. So you got two rigs on the top, two rigs on the bottom, and there were four people that are fishing, and they rotate the poles. So every 30 minutes, you would rotate. So uh, first 30 minutes, pole one is yours, second 30 minutes, pole two, three, four, and so on. And they troll, and, they're, and they've got the, all this great gear, you know, they've got the, the sonar, you know, searching for this great fish that we're going to catch. And there's four of us that are fishing, and lo and behold, right, the fish on. There is a giant fish on the hook, and it was my pole. I was so excited. So I didn't know what to do, right? I've never caught a marlin before. Well, the, the pole, the line is going, like, taking off, right? And so the crew was there to help. They said, okay, here, put this belt on. So I had to put this belt on. And then they strap you into this chair. And then they get the pole. And they put the pole in front of you. And they strap the pole to the belt and to the chair. So you don't go overboard. Because you just caught this giant fish. And so here begins this struggle. So I'm sitting in the chair. I've got this fish on, this giant marlin. And the line is going crazy. I'm struggling. <laughs> You know, trying to whine. Pull, you know, 
I don't know if you've, if you've ever done it before. you got to go down and pull, and then you wind and pull and wind. And this is going on and on and on. This is a, this is a struggle. I thought, hey, this would be easy, right? we got this great boat. we got all this great tackle. This is going to be a piece of cake. It was not a piece of cake. It was a lot of work. And this went on and on for about 30 minutes. On and on and on. And then I'll tell you what happened at the end of the sermon. Okay. So the struggle was real, right? It was on and on and on. But I had a fish on. The fish was on the hook. And the struggle was real. And I want to apply that, this struggle, to our lives this morning. And when we think about um, when we think about our lives and we think about the struggle that we go through, this text actually speaks to that ongoing struggle. Um, so Paul's reason for writing this letter uh, to the Romans was to fortify the faith of the Christians in Rome and therefore also to fortify our faith, to encourage us in our faith. You see, many of them and many of us struggle with our faith on a daily basis and we struggle with our faith because of the reality of indwelling sin. Why do we confess our sin every Sunday when we get together? It's because we know that there's this reality of indwelling sin that we all deal with. So I want you to think in terms of the fishing story. Think of it like God is the fisherman and we are the fish. God is, And God is reeling us in, but we sometimes struggle against God in that way. We realize that as Christians, we are supposed to be pure and righteous, but we see in our actions and desires are often misguided and unholy. So this discrepancy between how we act and who we are actually in Christ can cause doubt in our faith. But I want to assure you this morning that if you are facing doubt caused by your own personal sin, then you are not alone. And there is hope to be found in the mercy of God. And we're going to see that mercy in this passage. Because we are on the hook of God's mercy, we can face this ongoing battle and we can partake in the blessings of life and peace which are promised in this passage. So our outline this morning, there's three three main points. The battle we all face, verses 1 and 2. The blessing we have in the Spirit, verses 3 and 4. And the behavior that reveals our mindset. And that'll be the, the, uh, the rest of the passage. So first of all, the battle we all face. In the book of Romans, Paul does not pull any punches when it comes to identifying sin. Romans 3.23 is a very well-known verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's pretty encompassing, right? It's not most people uh, sin and fall short. It's all people. Romans 6.23 makes it clear that the wages of sin is death. So I think we can all agree at this point that we are all guilty of sin. If you can't agree with this, then we need to meet one-on-one uh, -on -one after this. I'm available. Uh, I like to go to Panera if you want to get together. We can talk about that. talk about your sin. That would be great. Um, but, uh, but as we move forward this morning, 
I want to assert that we all have an ongoing battle with sin or the flesh as Paul refers to uh, sin here in this verse. He's The flesh is referred to as sin and describes it and we all need a solution to this problem and we all continue on a deadly trajectory. So we all have this problem. We all need the solution. Now, as we all know that what Paul considers to be, so that we all know what Paul considers to be the works of the flesh, I want to, uh, and the works of the Spirit, I want to refer to Galatians 5 really quickly. Uh, Galatians 5, 19 through 25, spells out a list of the uh, flesh and the Spirit. So, uh, Galatians 5, 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So it's pretty all-encompassing, right? Um, and it's a, it's a wide array of things, and we can all agree, I think we struggle in these areas. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the fruit of the Spirit uh, should be, uh, we should manifest these things. So um, the way that we act and behave and the kind of the character that we have should reveal these things, just like fruit on a fruit tree. So when you think about fruit, I grew up in uh, Sunnyvale, California, which all the homes were built in orchards. So as you would walk from one community to the next, there would be different trees in the yards. Uh, One would be lemon trees, one would be orange trees, one would be cherry trees. And, um, and you know, so you could tell, well, that's a lemon tree, that's an orange tree, because you tell by the fruit, right? And so the, the, for us, as Christians, we should be able to identify who we are by our fruit, right? Are we, are we identified as angry people, or are we identified as loving people? You get the point. Now, as we approach Romans 8.1, we must pause and realize that we are about to read an earth-shattering, life-altering statement. So the entire sacrificial system that the Jews practiced in the day is going to be changed or abrogated or fulfilled in Christ. The entire definition of God's elect is about to change. God's elect used to be uh, the Jews, the chosen people. But that's about to change when we read this statement. The entire sin problem caused by Adam and Eve is about to be solved. This is a life-changing, revolutionary statement. Here it is. Ready for it? There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 Paul wants the Romans and us to know that the battle that we all face has been won. Those who were lost in sin and had no hope now have hope. Those who were being crushed by the burden of following the law perfectly 
now have relief. Romans 8.2 continues, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. These verses are so life-changing that they have literally changed the way people live, not to mention the reality that these verses have been used to bring many people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I was, uh, the first time I ever heard the gospel, my father-in-law, my future father-in-law, used Romans. He used these verses to share the gospel with me. Famous uh, reformers in the past have been completely transformed by these verses, uh, such as Martin Luther, a famous reformer. These verses are truly revolutionary and truly um, transformative. But some of you have maybe embraced these verses and think, ho-hum, just another sermon. But you struggle with your relationship with God and you struggle with where you are. But I want to just remind you um, that... um, that there is now no, no no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But you might say, well, I'm, I'm concerned about my own personal salvation because I, I, I struggle. I keep messing up. I say things that I shouldn't. I look at things that I shouldn't. I drink more than I should. I don't give to the church like I should. I get angry with people in the church. I worship comfort and money more than God. I don't read my Bible as much as I should. I don't pray like I should. I don't love my neighbor. My hope is in politicians rather than God. I seem to be walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. So you may be asking, am I really a Christian if these things are true of me? Maybe you need some assurance that you are a child of God this morning. I know people personally that that struggle with this. They wrestle with this. They've grown up in the church their entire lives. And they question their faith on an ongoing basis. Am I truly a Christian? Because I'm wrestling with this indwelling sin. This battle that goes on and on and on. Never and never leaves me. But I would say there is hope. I think that this passage is bringing us hope. And you want to ask yourself this question. If if this is true for you, if you struggle, ask yourself this question. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If the answer is yes, then the statement is true for you. There is no condemnation for you. So you, you can wrestle, you're free to wrestle with the Lord in a way that says the victory is won, but I'm working towards glorifying God. I'm not working for my salvation. There is now no condemnation for you. Even though you walk with God, even though your walk with God isn't perfect, you need to ask yourself if you are struggling to walk with God. Are you struggling to walk with God? If you are struggling to walk with God, then this statement is true for you. And continue to think about your relationship with God, like my fishing story that I started with. 
God's the fisherman and we're the fish. I know all, all analogies break down at some point, but the idea is that there's a struggle, right? Like God has a hold of you. If you have said, I want the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life, then, then you are in Christ. There is no condemnation. But that struggle is there to bring you closer to Christ. As, as, as I reeled that marlin in closer and closer, it's like Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, they're reeling you in closer and closer. There's a struggle. There's a struggle. But He's conforming you to Himself. And He's bringing you to Himself. So my point is this. If you are in Christ and you care about your walk with God, then I would say that you are on the hook. You are on the hook. That is that you have been caught by God and you are one of His children and you are the proud owner of Romans 8.1. You can safely say there is now no condemnation for me. This should bring you great comfort because if you are in Christ, then you are in the spirit of Christ. And if you are in the spirit of Christ, then you are in the spirit of life. And you have been set free from the law of sin and death. I know this ongoing battle can be discouraging, but after studying this passage, I'm convinced that this passage is mostly about bringing encouragement to the faithful believers in Rome and to us this morning. If you are in Christ this morning, then you should experience great comfort in the security of your salvation in Christ, even in the midst of your ongoing struggle. Many people have this feeling that their salvation or their security in Christ is like walking on a tightrope over the Grand Canyon. If you think that you're going to just one little misstep and you're going to mess up, then your then your salvation, your relationship with God is ruined. It's over. The reality is that when we reflect on Romans 8.1, we realize that our position in Christ is so secure, it would be like walking across the uh, Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah. 30,000 acres, 30,000 acres of flat salt land, terrain. Like, there's nowhere to fall, right? The worst thing you can do is just fall over, right? You're not falling off anything. So the reality is that when you're in Christ, you are secure. The Heidelberg Catechism, which was written in the 16th century, <clears throat> draws out uh, draws out the scriptures in a more pastoral way, we would say. And the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism is uh, relevant to us this morning. It says, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The follow-up question to the first one is this. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And the answer is there's three things that we must know. First, how great my sin and misery are, right? This ongoing battle that we have. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Set free, there is no condemnation in the 
those who are in Christ Jesus. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. <clears throat> how am I to live my life? How do I set my mind? So these answers of the Heidelberg Catechism fit right in line with our sermon this morning. So just to reemphasize, I think Paul is helping the Romans to understand these three things in this letter. Our sin is great, we are set free from sin through Christ, and we are to live in the Spirit in such a way that shows our gratitude for our salvation. And this leads us to our next point, the blessing we have in the Spirit. So look again with me at Romans uh, 8, 3 and 4. It says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So here's a summary of verse 3 and 4. Jesus takes the curse that we deserve literally upon his flesh and grants us his righteousness. If sin were an old sweatshirt with stains and holes in it, then Jesus would take that from you and give you his royal robes. The nicest and softest robe you ever put on. This is what's happening in verse 3 and 4. But Jesus did not take our ratty old sweatshirt. He took the punishment that we deserve. He took the nails in his hands. He took the spear in his side. He took the flogging and the crucifying. He took the spitting and the shame. He took the punishment upon his own flesh that we deserve. And in return, he gives us his righteousness. He purchases access for us to the throne room of heaven with his own blood. This gift is for all who are on the hook. The second half of Romans 6.23, For all have... Um, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The free gift is for you, but it costs Jesus everything. He laid down his life for you. The mercy of God is on full display here. Jesus takes what we deserve and gives us what he deserves. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. Jesus takes on himself the punishment that we deserve and gives us his royal robes. The prophet Isaiah foretold this. Isaiah 61, verse 10 and 11. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my Lord, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. I think that's you, brothers and sisters. He will cause righteousness to sprout up before all the nations. As He clothes you in His righteousness, that's who we are. We are His righteous people. 
last point, that behavior that reveals our mindset. So the mindset in the last, uh, the last part of the verse here, the last part of the passage here, is uh, either your mind is set on the flesh or your mind is set on the spirit. And we think about the, that word, mindset, there, um, it only appears twice in the New Testament. And it means um, that uh, it means to give our full attention, regard, pursuit, delight, and affections towards something or someone. So it's like a, a very strong focus. And um, so verse 5 through 8, they draw out this idea of setting our minds on either the flesh or the spirit. So if you set your mind on the flesh, that leads to death. If you set your mind on the spirit, that leads to life and peace. On the flesh leads to hostility toward God and not being submissive to God's law, unable to submit. This shows that a person is not on the hook. These verses state straight up that if a person is in the flesh, then they cannot please God. They're, they are unable to please God. The theologian John Calvin draws out a couple of key points as it relates to this mindset. He says, first of all, that to be in the flesh is the same as to be without the gift of regeneration. That is to say that if you are setting your mind on the things of the flesh with no regard for God, then you are not on the hook. Verse 7, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. If you are in the flesh and not in the spirit, then you are an enemy of God. This is strong language, and it needs to be. We need to know what our position is, but we also need to know that there is hope. In Romans 5, it talks about how we were once enemies of God, but we have been reconciled to God. And again, the struggle that we experience as Christians, we realize that, that we're not perfect. And uh, John Calvin even speaks to this fact that, that we're not perfect, that our, our walk with God, our mindset towards the Spirit is, is an ongoing struggle. Calvin wrote about this passage. He said, For who in this world can be found adorned with such angelic purity so as to be wholly freed from the flesh? The answer is no one. And the point is, if you are struggling with your faith, then you're on the hook. There is no condemnation for you. You are right where you're supposed to be. So, if we, in conclusion, if we have no desire to give our attention to God and would rather revel in lasciviousness and walk in the ways of the flesh, then we are not on the hook with God. If we are interested in the things of God, if we are struggling with wanting to be a better Christian in the new year, if we are struggling with being more bold in our witness for Christ, if we do experience some successes and some failures in our walk with God, then we are on the hook with God. And we can live with a thankful posture, sure of our faith, because God has rescued us from our position of lifelessness. Remember the work that Christ did on the cross for you. He did it because we needed it. 
when, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Just as just as a good fishing battle ends with the fishermen pulling the fish into the boat, we can rest assured that God, the ultimate fisher of men, will successfully reel us into His presence in glory when that day comes. So at the end of my fishing battle, good news. I was able to bring the fish in with the help of the crew. It was a 100-pound, 6-foot marlin, which if you know anything about, that's a big fish, right? If you know anything about marlin, that's a pretty small marlin. But it was still a big fish. I was 9 years old, caught the fish. So I landed the fish, got it on the boat. I was so ecstatic, so joyful. And um, we, we had it taxidermied. We brought it home. I had it hanging on my bedroom wall for many, many years. I was so excited. And the, the analogy goes through for us, right, is that we struggle. Like, we struggle with God. Our walk with God is a constant struggle. As we go through this new year, there's going to be struggles, right? But God is faithful, and He is reeling us in. And He wants us to be uh, with Him. Uh, and He wants us to be His righteousness now on earth, but ultimately He wants us with Him in heaven. And He is faithful to do that. Let me finish with John 10:28 says, "I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand." Our our uh, salvation is secure in Christ. There is therefore no condemnation for you, brothers and sisters. If you struggle, you are not alone. And as we come to the table of Jesus Christ that he set for us, let us remember that our salvation is sure because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.